The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. What it do? It's a Friday, <laughs> August 18th on the Fantasy <laughs> Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host holding it all together, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Dude, stop staring back at me, Bets. <laughs> what it do from Borg this morning uh, caught me off guard. I, I was uh, currently, you know, I'm always logged on, Kyle. You know that. Yeah. So I'm scrolling Twitter to see if there's any last minute news before we start recording. And I'm not, truthfully, not really paying attention. <laughs> and in my, in my headphones, I just hear, what it do? <laughs> I feel like that's the, um, hello, kids, <laughs> acting like you're young again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've I've questioned this for a while, and I think our listeners are too, so I think it's just time to get real. Do you listen at all to the intro until after I say your name? Or is it just kind of like just like Charlie Brown, you know, teacher stuff? Or is it you know, do you do you key in on the nicknames? Does that matter? The the what I throw in there every episode. Oh, it matters a ton. It's probably the most important part of this show, not only to our listeners, but to me. Because I have a running spreadsheet of course, that has all of the names in there, and I'll reveal them later. Uh, have I doubled up? Guess that. Have I ever doubled up what I've said? Probably not, honestly. I haven't. I've done, I think I've done some variation, but I have really tried to make sure that I do it different every single time. If you're out there and you like a good intro, you know, you like that I get to throw out to bets a different name every single time. His name is perfect for the show. Uh, just let me know because it is is a fun thing for me. It's also a fun thing for me to keep tabs and spreadsheets on things in our company that don't really matter. So I I have some spreadsheets like Jason's shirt, right? Like I had that spreadsheet going <laughs> right. of Jason's shirt. Middle names of NFL players. I yeah, and when Jason, uh, the reality is that was a great great spreadsheet to hold on to and to use. And now every on. time he says it, I can't not hear it. Well, okay, what's funny? I haven't been keeping track for this season as much because it's just like, okay, the pit's over and, but Mike's been saying it more. And I wonder if it's rubbing off where like Mike, I want to be able to say that Mike is saying it more than Jason. I don't think that's true, but 
I mean, it's a fun part of our company that I think they like that we care about some of their weird, weird quirks. People like listening to that stuff, right? I think so. We do. People like personality. You know, that's that's why they're here. On today's show, we will be talking about DFS cash game strategy. I had a lot of questions from people last week. We were talking about our DFS process of how do you go about this? When you say 50-50, what do you mean? We'll go through that. And then for experienced cash game players, if you're like, oh, I've been doing this for years. I know what I'm doing. Borg and bets are jokes. That's fine. I think we have some information this year about what your pool should be like, like how to create a cash game pool and how to whittle it down into the process throughout the week. So Betts and I do a show every single week on Tuesday during the season. So that'll be coming out uh, in a couple weeks. And then we do another show on Friday, but there's a huge process from Tuesday to Friday show to Saturday when we give out our best plays and Sundays, which we will walk you through. So yeah, stay with us. We're, we're going through cash game strategy this week, GPP, to get you ready for week one and make sure that you uh, bring home some money. So that should be good. If you want to get our best ball rankings, our best ball primer, our season long props, they're available in the ultimate draft kit, the ultimate draft kit plus. And we've said this before, and I think people are just dumb dumbs because I see the sales come in. If you want to use the promo code DFS pod, you can save 10% on that on the price right now. And the DFS pass you know, when you get that bundled in, you also get the draft analyzer. You get all of our dynasty rankings that Betts and I do. We talk about on the dynasty podcast. So we're giving this away for free. But the biggest thing this year in the DFS pass is our new optimizer. All right. I've been playing around with it. I posted a tutorial video for all of our discord subscribers to just get in early and see it. But I'm just excited for people to play GPPs the right way. Uh, and to learn like this is what makes a good lineup. This is what the top 5%, the top 1% lineups look like. So I just want to, I, I can't tell you enough. The optimizer this year is a souped up version that I will be using. And I know bets, you're usually not a GPP. Like you're, you're not going to be a, you know, MME type of guy. Like you're not going to enter a ton of lineups, but I feel like I've convinced you with this optimizer this year. I mean, I'm going to have to dabble at least. Um, I have played around with it. It is awesome. It is head and shoulders above what we had in there the last couple of years. So it's it's fantastic. And yeah, like you said, I'm not really a 150 type of player, but every now and then I do some 20 max. Like for Showdown, I like to play some 20 max, embrace the variance, that kind of thing. So I'll be using it for that sort of stuff. But yeah, I watched the tutorial uh, yesterday, actually. It was great. I think it's going to be very helpful. So if you haven't, check it out in Discord. And man, uh, the, the other thing I just got to point out, Kyle, about UDK Plus, which... <clears throat> I feel like sometimes gets lost. I think people that have been with us for a while, they know this, but I get messages all the time on Twitter, wherever it's like, Hey man, like I'm interested in UDK. Like, what do I pay for the DFS pass? And it's like, well, no, like that's the price. And they're like, okay, yeah, but how much should I pay a month? That's the price. Like literally one time payment right now, you are with us for the entire season through the Super Bowl. And like Kyle said, if you use the promo code uh, DFS pod, you can save yourself 10%. Honestly, the best deal in the industry. It is It is pretty stupid. And just to give you just, you know, here's how good of a deal you could get. Uh, we had someone post uh, from last week and gave a comment from last week's episode. And I quote from Lauren Lynch, last year, you guys helped me confirm my thoughts on Miami and Baltimore, which was a stack in week two that you and I were just all in on before the rest of the group. And then, oh, she's add, they just add this in. And I won 180 grand in a trip to DraftKings Championship. So thank you. 
Cool. Just throwing that in. <laughs> That's great. I'm so happy for this person. But remember, when you hit play on the show, automatically you owe us 10%. So just, you know, we'll get together, you know, we'll get our Venmos, whatever. We'll get this, we'll get this figured out. Yeah. And for tax purposes, uh, we get to write it off. We're good. Uh, yeah. So it's fun to be able to play with people. They learn the right way. So ultimatedraftkit.com and use that promo code DFSPOD if you want to save even more money, which we think is just plain stupid. Quick question for you, Bets. We've done some recent best ball rankings changes, and there are some things that are pretty obvious. Like we we had to move Brees Hall down a little bit. We had to uh, move Ramondre down a little bit. So you can get those. Uh, you can use the app if you you know want to look at ours on the app. If you're on the toilet scrolling, you're like, hey, I wonder where they moved Ramondre. Uh, you can do that. But let's talk about some other recent best ball rankings changes that we've kind of updated for our listeners. So give me a couple people that have uh, risen a bit in your rankings. Yeah, these are directly uh, related to the fallout of finally getting the answers as to where these free agent running backs are going. Uh, Specifically, you know, the Dalvin rumors were out there that he might be going uh, to the Dolphins for a while. And so I had been kind of hands off on that backfield, but now we have confirmation that Dalvin is not signing there. I don't think they add another guy. So I've been uh, sort of kind of always like in line with Devon Chain where he goes of like, it's fine. I'm not, I don't have a strong take either way. But I was pretty hands-off for Heem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And now certainly I have elevated those guys up. The Miami backfield wasn't uh, awesome from a rushing volume standpoint, but they were super efficient. So I think taking your shots on those guys as like an RB5, RB6 in your builds is is totally good with me. And then uh, the same thing with Zeke going to New England. There was a lot of smoke around, well, maybe Dallas brings it back. And that's been hanging around for a while as far as uh, rumors. And so you wanted to kind of be excited about Tony Pollard, but remember that like his projection, his ranking could come down. And so I was basically at line with ADP, but now I'm I'm in. I think Tony Pollard is one of the best second round picks that exist. I think we could see him have a Nick Chubb sort of rise in ADP where, you know, in two weeks he's going at like the one-two turn. So I love Tony Pollard. I think he's an awesome pick in round two. I am I'm trying to make sure that I get over the field on, on Tony Pollard this year. Yeah, I, I'm looking at my exposures right now, and I've kind of been under on Pollard. I didn't have him ranked super low. It's just I had other players and based on my builds that I was drafting there. I do have some Malik Davis. Do you think that feels Malik Davis or Rico Dowdle feels like a stronger 18th round pick to you as, as strong as those picks can be? Uh, there's value there, I think. I mean, one of these guys, we just don't know who it is, and that's the tricky part. So I think right now you don't have to force it. Like if you're still planning to draft over the next three weeks before we get to week one, I don't think you have to force it. I think maybe after even the second preseason game, we could get some signals as to who it is. So I'll be watching that closely and then adjusting from there. And we talk a lot about, you know, you're drafting over the course of a summer and be, and with the market moving, like there's times where, you know, people were drafting Zeke as if, oh, I know he'll go to Dallas. Okay, well, he didn't at all. And, you know, you're going to have people that are getting Malik Davis or getting Rico Dowdle at the very end of the draft with more confidence than what they did before. I want to say this about Jeff Wilson because I was terrified, I don't know, three weeks ago, uh, you know, where I was like, oh my gosh, I have way too much exposure of Jeff Wilson. You want to guess what my exposure is of him? Uh, I'm going to say 16%. What if I told you it's 25%? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you avoided the Dalvin landmine <laughs> so well. Brilliant. You just, you saw the future, didn't you? I, you know, some people, 
so I've been pretty fortunate at my running back exposures and maybe it's something you can do. You can look at your exposures and go, Ooh, I, I did pretty well on that. Or, Oh man, like I have Kendry Miller at 15%. It's not a death sentence, but it doesn't feel just great to, to look at my roster and to see that. But like Jeff Wilson, whew, I made it. CEH, they haven't added anyone. Okay. It's pretty good. Uh, Alexander Madison, you know, we got a lot of him early. I have a lot of tank Bigsby. So there's, there's some spots where I felt like good ahead of the market, but you know, some other ones where it's like, okay, well, Dante Foreman, that's not going in the right direction, uh, considering Khalil Herbert. So there's, there's things that kind of ebb and flow. I'll give a couple of names that have risen for me and it feels gross to say it, but Cortland Sutton, I can't ignore it anymore. I kind of just said like, I hate that tier of wide receiver, but he's moving up in my rankings where he, he deserves to be a top 100 player. Uh, on everybody's boards and things are looking really good. Uh, not just in preseason, like just in, in week one preseason, but everything we're hearing from beat reporters is like, okay, this looks like a different player. He looks motivated. And I think Sean Payton understands the role that he can play for this team. So I've been pretty much team Judy and I'm looking back now and wish I had more Sutton. At least I know that you and I have a team t- that we drafted together, that we have Sutton, that we regretted taking him and now we just look smart. Yeah, it was one of those picks at the time that you and I, we had a, a Herbert stack. I mean, of course, obviously we did. And we're like, okay, let's let's look for a bring back. He's sitting there like, all right, fine. <laughs> but like you said, the trend has been good. So uh, happy to get lucky on that one. I think we also threw Mims on that. And obviously the changes with the Tim Patrick injury, unfortunately, uh, have helped Mims rise in ADP. But we got some good closing line value there. But yeah, man, I, I was kind of thinking about this when you were talking about Sutton. He sort of feels like, a very, very discounted version of Gabe Davis. Obviously, Broncos offense and Bill's offense, it's not a conversation, but like, same thing. Super hyped up last year. Clearly a big disappointment. Failed to hit his ADP. And now we're getting just like maybe a little overreaction from the market. And I've I've been kind of hands-off Judy. Like, I, I think he's a good player. I, I'm not willing to take him where he goes. He goes higher because of the fact that the wide receiver landscape has changed. If this was like two years ago, he'd probably be like a fifth, sixth round pick and I'd be in on that. But like people love Jerry Judy, man. And I think he's fine, but I'm not sure the gap between him and Sutton is as big as the, as the market suggests. So ironically, I've gotten a decent amount of Sutton, not because I like him, but because he's cheaper and I'm always looking for a bring back on my Herbert stacks. Is that something that you tell the players on your best ball roster? Like, Hey, I don't, I don't really like you, but I like, welcome Listen, to the Cortland, team, buddy. <laughs> you and me we've had some times i've been in i've been out i guess you're fine like i guess hey if you can just catch a touchdown for me in week 17 he he'll be my guy for sure one of my favorite parts about playing fantasy especially if you play with you're managing with other people so like bets and i get to manage we're not really managing anymore we already drafted our best ball team but we walk through the whole process and you know every week when somebody does good that we talk about like this is our guy uh like when i manage a team with my brother we like talk as if like this is a this is a real glue guy for our team. You know, he's just a <laughs> locker room presence. And First one in, last one out every every day. <laughs> oh yeah. We were talking about that with Russell Gage, you know? Like, oh it's like Russell Gage was one of our original picks on our dynasty roster. Like, man, for so many years he just held it together for our team. Now we gotta let him go. <laughs> you know, we just anyway. Unfortunate. Uh, a couple more changes for me, and then we'll talk about some fallers. I have Debo Samuel and Jameer Gibbs in my top 30. I've never been a Debo guy, and yet I the more and more I look at this offense on a half-point site, he just feels like a player that gives the spike weeks I want. 
in an offense that I think I want, I mean, other than CMC, obviously it's like, where do I want these pieces? And I think he's going in a spot where I can get him on certain teams as a wide receiver two or wide receiver three, like in the fourth round. So uh, I like him a lot. And the last thing I'll mention, Hunter Henry and Kate Otten feel like players in your draft that like I want people to get. We've been talking about Kate Otten for a long time. With the Russell Gage injury, he seems super viable. And Hunter Henry, like Mike Isicki, I don't know why they franchised him in Miami. I don't know why the Patriots brought him. But Hunter Henry is going to be an every down player for the Patriots. So I, I like him a lot. Definitely. He's been a guy I've been talking about a bunch, ironically. I, it's kind of the grossest exposure ever, but he's my tight end too behind Mark Andrews where it's like he was going undrafted and it's like, he's going to be on the field. He's the starter. Um, and, and I wrote that article last week, late round, you know, strategy and best ball targets. And the reason that we've been kind of talking about these late round tight ends, you can throw in like, now we've got some good buzz on Luke Musgrave, Jake Ferguson separating as the starting tight end in Dallas that these guys are not giving you those zeros and, and the risk associated with round 17 and 18 picks. So I've been sort of fading like the the Schultz, uh, Greg Dulcich ranges of tight ends and just being like, I can get something similar, if not better, honestly, in round 16, 17, and 18. So I think the Hunter Henry call is a good uh, good pick there for sure. So a couple of quick fallers here. And when I say fallers, I'm not saying you can't draft this person don't draft them. They're just in my rankings where they're going to be behind ADP. So if these players fall, you know, like I, I, I'm not saying like you can't get them, but like Devin Singletary feels like a player that I haven't had a lot of. And I've moved him down even further on a roster where like, I don't really know what he is. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, like what is he? Up <laughs> I don't know why that the... just sounded so funny. You're like, I, I don't even know what this guy is, man. <laughs> okay, so with, in Buffalo, Devin Singletary had that like scorching run the last couple of seasons, and uh, I don't know, like it, it was it was fine, and then people hyped him up, but he's always been more of a between the twenties guy in general, and that's not that valuable to me on a team that stinks and is probably going to win six or fewer games. I don't know; he just doesn't seem like a player that I want to roster in terms of higher upside. So Devin Singletary's lower in my rankings. Jameson Williams, there are so many bad vibes. Like for for a while, and I'll just throw this out. This is like our secret little intel. But I have a friend who works with rookies and in their training, and he's just like, dude, when Jameson Williams is working out, he's like, I just don't know if this guy's ever going to put in the work ethic or show up to workouts the way that you want him to. And he says, like, he's talented, but I'm just telling you. Everything I've seen is like this dude, there's so many red flags. And so that changed some of my opinion because I trust this person. And I feel like all we've seen the last year and a half has been, is this guy going to get on the field? And people keep hoping. So I don't know what you know from an injury standpoint, but it's not good. Yeah, there has been literally zero positive happenings since he's been in the NFL. And it's, I mean, the ACL thing is obviously what it was, and that's a bummer. And we knew he'd have a lost rookie season, essentially. And so you're like, okay, year two wide receiver off the ACL. Like, we're excited. They don't have much on the depth chart behind Amon Ra. The runway is clear. And then the suspension, it's like, all right, well, now he's out six games. So, like, I guess he can be a late-season hammer. But now he's picked up a hamstring injury, which is expected to sideline him for the rest of the preseason. So he will have had, you know, two and a half games like basically eight eight routes eight targets whatever it was last year 
one preseason half from week one of this year, and then he's back in week seven. Like that's all the football this guy has played in the NFL. And for a speed wide receiver, you need that hamstring to be a hundred percent. And so I just have doubts. I have concerns. I dropped him like 40 spots below ADP. I mean, I think his ADP will, will sink a little bit, but um, I dropped him. I dropped Jared Goff a little bit. I mean, this skill group, like outside of Amon Ra and the running backs, it is not pretty. So I, I have some concerns about the lack of depth for the wide receiver and pass catchers there. I know Laporta's there, but we've talked about all the time with these rookie tight ends. So yeah, big time bad vibes on, on Jamison Williams. Yeah, Laporta is fine. His ADP's obviously gone up. And then Betts and I have talked back and forth for a couple weeks. We're like, okay, we think Khalif Raymond might be the wide receiver too. If you want to, you know, throw a dart in weekly winners at the very end, like whoever it is, but not great vibes. Any other names that you've dropped that you want to talk about real quick? I had one takeaway from, from week one of the preseason that did adjust my rankings a little bit. And I don't want to say don't draft this guy because I still want to be very in on the Jaguars. Is is just Christian Kirk a little bit. I kind of moved him down like a tier where I'm just behind ADP, where as before I was above. And the reason for this is last year he was no doubt out there in two wide receiver sets. When the first team played, it was Zay Jones across from Calvin Ridley with Kirk rotating in and out of the slot. So I'm not saying that means he's not going to be valuable in best ball, but from a playing time perspective, there's guys that are going around where he goes, you know, especially on like DraftKings, like Terry McLaurin's there, Drake London's there, guys like that where you know they're on the field every down in two wide receiver sets. So I dropped him a little uh, for that reason. And then uh, Jonathan Taylor, look, I, I get the reason you would take him. I get the appeal of like, look, this is a player who should be going in the first or second round. I'm going to get him in round three or four. But man, it's just hard to buy in like he hasn't practiced at all this offseason and now we have the contract thing plus he's left the team again for a personal reason i'm willing to just eat the l on taylor if it works out and that doesn't even take into the fact that we have concerns about the rookie quarterback not targeting him in the passing game so it's hard to see uh, the upside case given the state of what's happening with taylor right now so he is pretty much on a do not draft list for me the colts are a team that i think i was a bit more bullish on their long shot chances when we were in, I don't know, April and May. Like after they dra drafted Richardson, looking at their schedule, look at everything, I was like, okay, well, I don't mind them as a long shot team. And as I've walked through their schedule again, one of the things that I see is this team might actually be pretty, pretty low in terms of like pace, play volume. Just they're going to try to win ugly, which is actually a good thing. That's uh, Falcons fan here. The way the Falcons have always tried to win is let's slow the game down and let's win by actually having fewer plays. It's what Warren Sharp talked about a couple weeks ago is like you win by having less plays, which actually brings in more variance. And I, to me, looking at that team, it's like, okay, is there going to be enough just raw opportunities for Taylor and Pittman and any of these guys outside of, you know, Richardson to really be difference makers? So it's, it's tough with the Colts. Uh, they could be fun. Like we could be talking about Anthony Richardson in DFS soon is like, oh man, you in week one, we're probably gonna say he's on the radar that you can you could start him against the Jaguars. But yeah, I'm with you. Taylor's a little bit lower for me. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. 
Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything, so you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. We're back, and we're going to talk in just a second about our cash game strategy. And before we get into that, I just want to make sure people understand every single week in the DFS Pass, which is part of the Ultimate Draft Kit, Betts and I give you cash game picks on a Thursday, which is wild that we... I honestly think it's dumb that we give them that early for people because so much changes, but we want to make sure people are ahead of the group, ahead of the crowd. So Betts and I have cash picks for DraftKings, for FanDuel, and then on Saturday, dude, that is the most valuable article that we can give in the DFS pass. It's our best plays. So quickly, before we get into cash game strategy, talk to people about what that best plays article. Yeah, and with those uh, cash picks in the DFS pass, we don't just like write it and then be like, good luck, figure it out. If there's news, if things happen and we find better plays, like I'll adjust, I'll update my articles for you guys. So it's not like, well, on Thursday, this guy was great, but on Sunday, he's a terrible play. Good luck. Uh, we'll adjust that for you guys, but we'd like to have you prepared. Um, but yeah, for Saturday, man, the, the best plays article is really us putting our heads together and finding a consensus of here's our you know top three or four quarterbacks, top four or five running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. And we kind of rank them for you guys of like, here's who we feel strongest about, you know, for cash games, here's who you could play, but we don't feel as good about it. So it gives you a, a player pool to work with. But my favorite part of that stuff is, um, it's kind of the other questions that go into the article. We, we talk about games we love to stack, games we're fading, you know, uh, kind of a sneaky play of the week, just stuff like that. So if you missed content throughout the week, it's easy to go back and be like, okay, I can catch up a little bit here in a, a pretty condensed resource for you guys that honestly takes five minutes to read. Like it, it's pretty quick and concise. So that article, I think last year, which was new for us, was a big time hit and I'm excited to do it again this year. Yep. So go to ultimatedraftkit.com if you want to get that. But let's talk about cash. Straight cash, homie. Just for this show. I mean, just for this show alone, bets. That drop is worth it. Like I feel like if if 100%. people are listening, don't log off. You stay logged on. We know that you need to do that. But that drop brings uh, you know some optimism, some hope that week one is coming. I also on my stream deck, which is a super really cool way to be able to do this show. It, I have Randy Moss's face just staring staring at me, and that's a beautiful sight. <laughs> beautiful man, great player, best drop I think we have. It, yeah. Straight cash homie's been a staple of this, but last week we talked about DFS goals. Go back to that episode. We have an article series coming out about the DFS process. We'll talk about cash game pool, and we'll talk about how to create you know, lineups that actually make sense. We'll talk through our process, an optimizer one. I'm doing one on pace of play just to give people like, hey, when we get to Wednesday and we're talking about pace of play, here's how this uh, affects our player pools. Here's how it affects us in cash games. GPP uh, type things. So all that 
is on the website if you want to look at that, fantasyfootballers.com. But cash games help provide a floor that a lot of people don't really realize. Like they think about the commercials, think about the big wins. I've mentioned before, we have a former Millie Maker that's going to be part of our team this year, and I'll kind of reveal that next week. And our optimizer is built for that. But for cash games, I feel like people don't really know where to go and where to start because it's like, I want to figure out how to win the, the Millie. And then they start plugging in lineups. And then every single week, they're like, hey, this is just not really working. Cash games give you a chance that when things go crazy week to week, you actually have a high floor and you can withstand crazy weeks where you just didn't see that coming. So maybe explain why our preferred method is for people to learn cash games first. Yeah, I think it's it's twofold for me. Like you mentioned the uh, you know the bankroll piece of it. Uh, like for newer players, honestly, and, and even for people that have been doing this for a while, sometimes that's the hardest part of this game is being like, well, I had a bad week. It's like, well, I'll just I'll just reload. No big deal. It's like, we don't want you guys to do that. We want you to have a consistent bankroll throughout the season, be able to play 17, 18 weeks into the playoffs if you want to. We don't want your season for DFS to be over in week four, right? So I think uh, having the idea of how to play cash games very smartly, which we'll talk about today, can help to make sure that your bankroll is steady. And if, if you are a primary cash game player, to make money this year. That is that is the goal. So I love it for that reason. The second thing is, if you have an understanding of what the quote-unquote cash plays are of the week, you're going to know what our opponents are going to be doing in tournaments. There are going to be plays where like, you know, I'm all saying it on the, this year on the show, like this guy's a great playing cash. I would not be willing to play this guy in a tournament because it's like, Hey, I can see the path where this wide receiver might catch four balls for 40 yards. And he's only 4k. It's like in cash, that's probably fine. That is not winning a tournament. And if that guy is going to be a quote cash play that week in large field tournaments, he's going to be very popular. So you have an understanding of what the field is going to do in these tournaments. So I think it's an underrated aspect for even GPP players to just understand like what the cash game strategy for that week looks like. Yes. And I love the, the grind every single week of, is this leading towards something? Because obviously we want to be profitable at the end of the year and the process of whittling that down is to the best plays, which we kind of give in our article on Saturday is so fun. I love the back and forth. I love finding out who the optimal plays are and the way that we play and I get this question all the time is, do you create only one lineup or multiple cash lineups? And for me and bets, we do one. Like as in I build my own, he builds his own. We kind of go back and forth. And, you know, I think you and I end up having a lot of overlap and there there should be a lot of overlap because we can identify what the best plays are. Some of them are really obvious, but why do you personally prefer one cash lineup that you use in a bunch of contests? And we'll talk about those contests in a second. Why do you prefer that method as opposed to multiple cash lineups? Yeah, I think it just helps to reduce variance. And if you are if you're a sound player, you have a really good process, you can feel confident that your cash lineup, the one that you create, is going to be uh beneficial for you most weeks. Whereas like if you're chasing your tail and you're like, ah, I love these three quarterbacks, like I'm just gonna mix and match, or you know, I really like this these groups of wide receivers, I'm gonna mix and match. Like in theory, that could work and you could still cash in all the contests you play. But I am entering one cash lineup into all of the contests that we're going to talk about today because it just reduces your variance and it helps you understand if you're a good cash player or not, you know, the results are there or they aren't. But if you're playing like 12 different cash guys each week in different lineups, 
your results might be very mixed and it's hard for you to look at your, at your process and say like, oh, I'm doing really well or I'm not because you could just be, like I said, kind of chasing your tail and just kind of going in circles. So for both of us, one cash lineup across all the contests we play. When I get to Saturday, I have a couple of different variations where it's like, okay, I could trade these two for these two. And I, I'm pretty locked in, but it is stressful. Don't get me wrong because you're like, oh, but I really want this guy and I can't fit him in. And so then what I like to do is just, we talk about all the time, give a happiness hedge where you play some of those players in a GPP. You go overweight if you really like those players. So for instance, week two last year was the week that our listener earlier said, hey, I won 180K because of that week. And that was a week that you and I, I mean, that almost made our entire year of the Baltimore Miami game. But I was so stressed out because you really liked Amon Ra and I've always had my own, you know, issues with Amon Ra. And so I was like, ah, oh, I'm so biased. I don't, you know what? Why don't I play him in a tournament? And why don't I build lineups around that as opposed to the way that I'm just doing with cash? And I had one of my best GPP lineups like ever scored over 230 points because of Amon Ra and a Baltimore stack with, with Jalen Waddle players that I didn't necessarily play in cash in the same way, but I was able to use them in GPP. So when you get down to your lineups and you're like, oh, I can only, I don't really want to do one. It's like, yes, it's better for your process. It's better to explain later on. Like when I write my article, my cash article is like, here's my cash lineup. Here's how I arrived there. And then if you're super stressed out about getting buried, play them in a GPP, play them in a small field. You'll feel so much better, right? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I think the other thing too to consider is there is going to be a a couple guys that are very close and you can make the argument for two of them, three of them that should be the last piece in your lineup. But what that comes down to for me is like, okay, I'll, I'll remember that. And if there's, you know, a couple guys that are projecting very well, they're the same price or very close. I don't need the extra money, whatever. Like if one guy's playing later, I might use it as a tiebreaker. Like what if I need late swap? What if I need to be like, okay, this is not going well. My early slate, I need to get off this guy. I'll side with the guy in the later slate of games. If I think it's a very, very close tiebreaker. So that's another thing that you should remember. Um, we're not going to talk a ton about late swap today, but I think that that is something that is, you know, underrated. We've talked about that for years that even in cash, like if you're just, if you're just not having a good, uh, you know, 1 PM slate, some people are just like, well, that didn't work this week. It's like, well, who do you have in the later game? Is he going to be very popular? Yes. Okay. Find someone contrarian and, and make up the ground that way. So don't forget about that late swap, even in cash. Let's talk about contest selection because there might be people that are listening. You're awesome. We're glad you're with us. We're glad you get to ride with us. And you're just simply asking like, where, what contest are you talking about? Like 50-50, whatever. I am currently logged on to DraftKings because, well, that's my job. And imagine logging off. So be me. if you're in DraftKings, you're in the NFL lobby on the left side on the desktop, or, you know, if you're doing it, you know, on your phone, whatever it is, you just get to search by contest types. And what it'll show you first is the Millie Maker, which makes sense because that's the one they're trying to promote. That's the one they're trying to get filled and they will get it filled because it's week one. But on the left side, you can also just filter it out by tournaments, head to head, 50 50s and double ups. And so for bets and I, when we are talking about cash, we are looking at something where basically 50% of the field is going to be paid out. That's mostly what we talk about. So we're talking about head to heads and 50 50s, meaning like if there's a hundred person group, then 50 of them are going to be paid out or whatever, or double ups. It's the same thing. 
there are some really easy contests. And what I do every single week, just to let you know, is I go in, the first thing I do before any tournaments, anything else, is I go and look at the 50-50s and there are two massive ones that you can always enter. It's the $25 double up. It's a $5 double up, a $10 double up. But the $25 double up is what I use to kind of compare how I did against the field because it just gives you the best size and it gives you a price point that people want to pay. But go into 50-50s, filter by that, and then just look at those $5 single entry or $25 single entry. Those are the ones that we preach on and on for people to jump in. Yeah, those ones are the ones that I'm playing every week. It's just a good way to, like I said, kind of stabilize and build that bankroll. Uh, but specifically, like you said, those single entry ones are the ones that we should be playing. The reason for that is that the best cash game players in the world will also be entering the, uh, you know, the, the 20 max, the 150 max cash games. And when you hear 150, like you're almost always like, oh, it's a tournament. But there are cash games that are that structure. And so if you're like, oh, I don't have the bankroll for that. Like I'm only going to enter three or four lineups into that. Well, you are playing against the best players in the world that have 150 bullets against your two or three. So we want to be level with the field. Single entry cash game double ups is kind of what we're talking about. I avoid specifically the multi-entry ones because I don't know about you, Kyle. I would like to be playing against people that don't know what they're doing or that are not the best players in the world. I would like to let my opponents make some mistakes versus making it more difficult for myself. Yes. I was thinking about a metaphor for this for people. Like I play poker with my friends. Like I have a poker night and sometimes I do okay, but I at least know the group. I know who I'm playing against. I know certain friends and their tendencies like, okay, he's going to make that mistake or, you know, just here's his tell or whatever. When I'm playing poker in a large group of people, which I don't do very often, or if I've ever played online, it's rough. I cannot read anyone else out there. I don't know this person. This is their entire life is what they're doing. So I like to think like this is a game you're playing with your friends in terms of, you know, whatever you want to play, Texas Hold'em, whatever, that you feel like you control some of this as opposed to in a large tournament against sharks, like you're going to get probably eaten alive because there are so many of them where we talk all the time. If you set your own head to heads, you can change things. Also, cash just reduces the number of things we have to get right. And I know that I can play poker against my friends and screw up a couple times, but I could actually come back and win. I know that if I were to play against a pro, I am just completely buried. So you don't have to hit the nuts to cash in some of these single entry ones. For sure. And that's really what the nice thing about this is. Like if you are just routinely entering the million maker every week and you're like, I'm hoping for the best, that could be fun. It could also be terrible. (laughs) And you could be out of money in a couple of weeks because not only do you need a very good outcome, like 80th percentile to even just like make sure you're above the cash line in that thing, you cannot have snowflakes. But if you want to win, like you need 200, 220 DraftKings points for that to happen, aka your lineup was almost perfect. You need eight, seven guys going off and, and not just like, oh, it's 2x. Like you need ceiling performances from all of your players. That is so hard to do, like nearly impossible, right? It's why not a lot of us have won the Millie. But in these kind of smaller or, or larger field single entry uh, double ups, you don't need, like Kyle said, to be perfect. You can have a snowflake here or there. You can take a zero at your defense. You you could take two catches for 12 yards from your tight end if they're cheap enough and still get there. And that's really the take-home is like, if it goes wrong, 
you can still you can still get there. So a couple of examples I had from last year, uh, week three in the $25 double up single entry, 117.3 was the cutoff for the cash line. The DK Millie Maker win that week, 202 points. That is such a big difference. It's massive. Dave Montgomery in that double up, 67%. He was a chalk running back. He got injured, scored 1.1 points. You didn't, like if you had him, you could still cash. Irv Smith, 55% uh, scored five points. That's not a GPP winning type of guy. You can you can absorb that. You can take that hit in a cash game. Miles Sanders, 20% scored five points. So this is this is kind of what I'm leading to is like, you don't really have to be perfect to win money in these tournaments or in these styles. In larger field tournaments, if you want to take home those top prizes, which they're fun to do, don't get me wrong, but you need to be perfect and it's very hard to do week to week. All right, I just looked up my week three cash lineup because I was curious. You said the line was what, 117, somewhere around 117. there? 117.3. Okay, I'm looking at my lineup right now. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Fournette, Snowflake. Dave Montgomery, Snowflake. Stefan Diggs, Snowflake. Amon Ross, Snowflake. I mean, classic Amon Ra, right? <laughs> Brandon Cook, Snowflake. Irv Smith scored five points for me. Based on that, what would you tell me how I did? Just based on, I, I'm leaving out a couple players, but that's I mean, bad, right? I just listed a lot of those names and it was really bad, but they were also very popular. So the field did bad too. So I okay. think you probably cashed that week. Okay. So I scored 122 points despite having five snowflakes in my lineup because Josh Allen went for 30 because he's awesome. And then who could forget bets? That was Mac Holland's week. Saved yeah, our life. <laughs> Saved our life. I'll never forget that week. You and I were like hovering on the cash line and we both played him. We're like, man, like, and he was like, what, like 3,200 or something 33, ridiculous? 33, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh man, like I need Matt Collins here. And then all of a sudden it was like 30 yard catch. It's like, we're back. All of a sudden catches a touchdown. We're like, oh my gosh, Matt Collins just saved the day. Who would have thought those words would ever be said? <laughs> Matt Collins. Atlanta Falcons, great. Uh, uh, Matt Collins. Yeah, I'm looking like on my cash game review article, you can actually see how I went through my process with my cash locks, my decisions. I went who I went back and forth with. I actually showed I did a screenshot of Betts and I like (laughs) what our conversation, just so you can see where uh, (laughs) Betts at one point you said, you do you, brother. (laughs) I guess we disagreed (laughs) on something. Uh, I said, my brain says this. My heart says that. My heart also says fade him on raw. And he says, don't be crazy. So you can actually see our text back and forth. But here's the, here's the end result. That's because of head-to-heads, which is what we're going to talk about how people do. Like the line was 117. I scored 122. But in my head-to-heads, I went 77% win rate, which is awesome for a week where I had so many snowflakes. So it's like I can insulate so many bad decisions or just bad outcomes or bad runouts when I do head-to-heads. Definitely. And that's that's the second contest that we'll play, contest style for cash, right? Is like these 50-50s, it's, it's binary. It's like you cashed or you didn't. But if you're playing enough volume of head-to-heads, let's just make it up. Let's say you played 100 that week. Like you could win 65% of those and you could lose a bunch of them, but you're still going to profit, right? And that's really kind of helps to limit that you know, all or none approach of, of a weekly process and helps you really mitigate the variance for sure. So yeah, head-to-heads are something that I play a ton of. And you know, we'll talk about kind of the process of how you do that and how you make sure you're getting good action against uh, certain players you want to play against. But basically the take-home is like 50-50s and head-to-heads are the way 
to stabilize that bankroll and minimize what you need to get right. Yeah, let me give you another example. Week two, that was when uh, our great Trey Lance played a quarter, was looking great, got injured, out for the year, and Trey Lance was played by 20% of the field. Okay, so it's not like you know we were just on him because, I don't know, we've lost a lot of money on Trey Lance over the years. We wanted to win it back. No big deal. But Trey Lance snowflaked my lineup, and I should have been dead, right? When your quarterback scores two and a half points on the week, do you basically mail it in? Oh, yeah, big time. You just know, like, okay, this is not going to be a good week. But, you know, in cash, my this lineup was dead, like in, in a 50-50. There's no way. But in a head-to-head, you actually can take what other people are doing and say, hey, they're going to make mistakes. And I created my own head-to-head lineup. So I have this lineup in front of you, Bets. I, I'm telling you right now, I did not cash in the 50-50, okay? Trey Lance got me two and a half points, and I have a bunch of other snowflakes. Saquon Barkley didn't do great. I mean, I it was, other than Mark Andrews scoring 28 points, this lineup scored 106. So based on that, what would you guess my head-to-head rate was this week? This is not a good week, Just for by the, the way. Just for the company's... Oh, it wasn't a good week? No, this is not a good week. Uh... I mean, what would you 42%. guess? Forty-two percent. I'm not trying to set you up. That's what 40%. I would have. I would have guessed I was at twenty percent, fifteen percent, just like bottomed out. I was at forty-six percent. So while I didn't necessarily make money, I insulated myself from just having a complete disaster because I also played head-to-heads on top of the fifty-fifties. Is that that's what the more of the talking point? Because I was shocked. I looked at this line. I was like, this line it was so bad. And I looked at my win rate, and I was like, oh, forty-six percent. That's not a train wreck, actually. Yeah, and the reason that happens is because people play the wildest plays in head-to-heads, and I am not joking. Like, if you if you start to do this enough, you will see, you log in, you'll be like, all right, who I got this week? Okay, cool, yep, yep, couple matchups here. And then you'll see, like, players that are, like, third-string wide receivers, backup running back, super jacked for, like, eight touches. Like, it just doesn't make sense, and I'm cool with it. Like, let's let people keep doing that against us. So the way that you get into head-to-heads, you make sure – you create your own contest. That is the biggest take home here. Create your own t- contest. You're going to limit the number of opponents that you're going to play. There's a setting for this on DraftKings to one. That prevents, like if you if someone scoops your head-to-head and they're a great player, it prevents them from picking up all your head-to-heads. So you, it limits the variance again, gives you softer competition. And the sneaky thing about this is that if you are consistently being beat by someone, you notice three, four weeks in a row, you're like, this person keeps taking my head-to-heads. You know, they beat me three or four times out of five, whatever. Like, don't play against that person. You can block them in your settings. And to do this, you're going to go to account information, preferences, head-to-head settings, and you list the person's username. No one, like, it's such an underrated aspect of this. Like, I've had people that beat me all the time. I'm not playing against them anymore. And that's the way that you limit that. Yeah, if you want to bully bets in the lobby, uh, your DraftKings handle is mbets33, correct? Yes, it is. Okay. Don't don't block me. Don't. If you want to block people, here's what you can do. Let's talk about player selection and how you build a cash game pool. We'll have an article coming out about this, but you know, it's not like we get the salaries on a Tuesday and say, we're done. We got the plays we like. It's kind of this tinkering, this back and forth that goes in a lot of different directions, right? When you're building a player pool, you're saying one who projects as a good points per dollar projection, meaning when you take their salary, and you take what they're actually projected for, like actual fantasy points, they're going to show up really well. So a cheap running back, a 4K running back, is going to show up really well in points per dollar. 
there are certain wide receivers like Elijah Moore will show up really well in week one because he's super cheap, right? And we care about those, but keep in mind, if you just have a bunch of good points per dollar guys and you're missing out on, hey, this guy just has a good raw projection. You know, Justin Jefferson is expensive. I get it. The dude's going to be projected for 18 plus points. It's because he's freaking awesome. So we're looking for median projections and we have those in the ultimate draft kit. I mean, ultimate draft kit. We have those in the DFS pass. We have them in our optimizer and you can see those. So if a player is projecting really well and they're likely to be popular in a tournament, maybe, just maybe, they're good at cash too. You don't have to completely fade them because they're projecting really well. So we take a lot of things into account when we're projecting a player. Why don't you talk about what some of those things are? Yeah, let's start with uh, a couple of just like for every position, regardless of who I'm selecting. I think team totals and Vegas lines are very important. If if you're close on a couple of quarterbacks and one guy is playing in a game where the total is uh, 42 points and one's playing in the total where it's 54, I would like to have access to that higher ceiling game. So I consider the game environment. I consider the players and the team totals that they have, uh, the projected volume, right? Like there are certain guys that I would play in a tournament where it's like I could see the path for this wide receiver. He's getting two or three deep targets a week. If it hits, it's going to pay off in a big way. But like in a cash game, I want more volume. Like I want targets. I want cons- consistent, dependable points. I don't need to hit that ceiling. Um, the other thing is is obvious, but matchups, right? Over the course of time, it's a little early in the season, even right now, to project project how a defense is going to perform in week one or week two. But there are situations that develop, of course, over the course of of weeks where it's like, you know, this team's down three starting defensive backs. Uh, they're getting they're getting you know beat up with injuries. Like the Ravens lost another safety. Like they were just getting destroyed through the year a couple years ago. Same thing with the Houston Texans run defense. Right, this stuff happens throughout the course of time. So matchups are important. They're not the only factor, of course, but we use them in, in regular fantasy football. We're going to use them in DFS uh, as well. Also, keep in mind that salaries for DFS, like they set them. And Betts and I sometimes clown on them on the show. We're like, oh, what were they thinking? Or, you know, our running joke is that somebody needs to get fired, you know, at FanDuel or DraftKings. But there is a strong correlation between the salary you see on DraftKings or FanDuel and fantasy points. So don't just like completely ignore that because we have to play within a market, right? Like $50,000, $60,000, whatever your budget is, you have to play within that. So don't just ignore that. That's why points per dollar matters a lot. You can also use the optimizer for that. So something that I will try to make sure I give our Discord users is every single week, I wait a little bit, all right, so to look at what the optimal is. And I can guarantee you that later on in the week, I will run the optimizer. And the way that you can use it for cash is going, okay, who projects well? I'm not going to use that lineup only, but who are some of the plays that just project well from points per dollar? And the optimizer will try to fit all of them in there for that purpose but keep in mind, the optimizer is best used for GPPs, okay? So I don't personally use my cash game lineup. I do like to see what the optimizer thinks is the optimal lineup, and then I can use that information later on for tournaments. But uh, it's a fun process for me. Uh, I do the first look article that comes out on Tuesday or look at all the salaries. And then by Thursday, I would say 50% of my lineup is close to being done like where I have a good idea of like, I like these players and we kind of whittle it down. We'll talk about the positions in a second, but it's like, I'm probably by Thursday or Friday going to be at a couple of players for each, like quarterback. 
you and I are probably going to be going back and forth between two or three guys, right? Like that's that's kind of how we do things. And then by Saturday, I would say 75 to 80% of my lineup is close to being done. Yeah, I think we go about it a little differently. Like I prefer to just wait. Like I have, I have an idea of who my, is in my pool, but I prefer to just wait and get as much information as possible. We might get news on a Friday afternoon, evening. We might get more news on a Saturday of like this guy's trending in the wrong direction. Sunday morning, we're getting reports of, oh, this guy might be limited to a handful of snaps, like stuff like that. So I'm I'm waiting as long as possible. Um, but at the same time, like you said, I have an idea of kind of where I'm leaning, but I don't make my final decisions truthfully until like noon on a Sunday. I would say there's certain guys that you're going like, okay, a quarterback, I think I'm pretty locked in on Friday. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't change it, but I would say that right. there's guys like, okay, well, it's just, this is such a good play. I'm pretty much there. I do want to give this very strong point before we go by position, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, and just saying how we pick these players, what we look for. If I could just give one strong thought is that when you're deciding your final lineup, so when I'm on Saturday and I'm putting together best play articles with bet, uh, we're looking at those, we're kind of putting our rankings together. The bottom line for me of going back and forth between players is, am I trading points of projection and am I trading opportunities? One of the worst things you can do is ask somebody, should I play this player or this player? Without actually thinking like, what am I giving up? Like, what's the what's the trade-off here? Is, am I giving up two targets? Because that's massive in, in drafting. Am I giving up, you know, three points of projection when I look at this final roster? So what you can do is, you know, something that I show bets every single week is, and I put in my cash game, is I have a spreadsheet. And it's literally just me taking what we have in the, old, uh, in the DFS pass and simply saying, here's their salary. Here's how much of my lineup they're taking up the budget. Here's their projected points. Like he's projected for 15 points. And then here's their points per dollar. I add those up. And at the very end, if I look at this lineup, I go, if I were to swap this, I'd be losing five points of our projection. Then it's just dumb. It doesn't make sense. So there's real numbers to it. Not just like, I like this player. I don't like this player. Not just vibes. (laughs) You know, you can, (laughs) you can live off vibes when it comes to DFS and it's fun. But when it's not there, you go back to your process. You're like, I just like, you know, a lot of people like, I just, I think they're not going to give him the ball enough. It's like, okay, well, why don't you go back to something that's really true? Like we projected him for 20 opportunities and he is at 5k. That's pretty dang awesome compared to the rest of the running backs. So you can do that uh, if you want to, if you want to, or you can just live blindly. So talk to me about quarterbacks and what we look for in a cash game quarterback. Yeah, for sure. This has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And I think more recently, we've we've seen it last year, uh, you know, really show itself of there used to be this idea in cash games in DFS where four or five years ago, you could just find like a five, you know, 5.5K quarterback. And you're like, well, they're probably going to get me 15 points, 16 points. These guys that are up there at 8K, like they might get me 20. So it's not a huge difference. Like I'll just take the salary savings. But now we're we've seen... And we're seeing this in the best ball ADP landscape of these elite quarterbacks truly separating from the rest of the group. The Josh Allens, Pat Mahomes, Hertz, Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, those guys, like they are separating so much from the Brock Purdy's and, you know, Derek Carr's of the world that even though they're accounted for in salary, I have found myself trying to roster one of the top eight, top six options on a slate most weeks, unless we get something where 
you know, there's a couple of years ago, I remember where like uh, Jordan Love was getting a start and he was like 4K. It's like, okay, there are certain situations where maybe it makes sense, but I'm always looking for these guys that are the top options because they not only project well, but we know they have this insane combination that we look for of floor and ceiling. These guys that are in offenses that have a high pass rate and ideally also run the football. Josh Allen is kind of the poster boy for that. Jalen Hurts, you know, for a while. So I usually am trying to make sure that I have a safe and ceiling option combined at quarterback. Whereas we'll talk about running backs and wide receivers. There's some times where you can go down the board a little bit and make sense. So uh, I'm always looking at the top options for tournaments too, but, but really for cash. I want to get your early week one take on, you have a couple names listed here and the hardest part about week one is that I feel like the field can go so many different directions where roster percentages in week one, there's certain players that'll be super strong because they gain steam. There's other players, especially at quarterback, like quarterback for the most part is the one where you look at percentages. They're not going to be nearly as high in terms of what people are rostering. I mean, there's certain weeks where it's like, Oh, this is the only dome game. And it's Josh Allen. It's like, okay, well, people are going to be paying up based on the slate. But for week one, I feel like we have, I've already looked at it, like five or six options that seem like, I could see that. Usually I'm like, oh, two or three, that's it. So talk to me about a couple players for week one. I know it's early because I see people that want to play Sam Howell at 4.9 and I get it. I see Anthony Richardson, pretty cheap. Geno Smith, pretty cheap. There's a, I mean, those are cheaper guys that you could go a different direction in week one. Yeah, for sure. And I think week one is probably a terrible example of, of what I just mentioned because the pricing comes out so early and it's a little off sometimes. But like you said, there's there's reasons that people are excited to think about playing Sam Heil in week one. He's 4.9K. He's taking on the Cardinals. Um, we know if he runs a little bit and throws a touchdown, like he's probably paying this off enough for cash games. But there's volatility here. We We still don't know if Sam Heil is good. We're not sure if he's going to run consistently enough where we have a huge sample size of Lamar Jackson doing it, Josh Allen doing it, Jalen Hurts doing it, Justin Fields. Like we had one start last year and, you know, we'll have two preseason games here after this weekend. So we just don't have a big enough sample. I think he's going to project well from a number standpoint, but this is where the art comes in of like, ah, it makes me nervous, man. Whereas I would probably prefer to pay up a little bit if we're using these two examples and roster someone like Geno Smith. He won't have the rushing upside but this is a team that had an elevated pass rate last year they've got a 26 point team implied total it's one of the highest on the slate he's got three incredible wide receiver options with the weapons and the game environment is so much different seattle and la 47 and a half points arizona and washington 39 points a 39 point total in the nfl is so low so i get it and i'm not saying i won't be playing sam Howell. i'm not sure yet we have time to adjust but just thinking through those those context pieces there's, you know, there's not as much of a floor as I think we th- we we think there is. Man, Seattle is a team that you and I have been guns up on for a long time. And I feel like I mean, I hope they just destroy the Rams cuz the Rams defense is not the Rams defense that you probably have locked in your brain from years past. It is a completely different crew. Uh let's talk about running backs because I would say we usually end up building our lineups around these players. Like when I think about my cash lineup, it's like I want a high floor, and so the running backs provide that for me because I get volume, we want opportunity. I want running backs that 
not I don't even care how expensive they are. Like I will pay up for Christian McCaffrey because on a per touch basis, he is just insane. All right. So I need at least 15 opportunities from anybody. Like even the cheaper running backs, you're like, oh well, you know, I think he'll be good. It's like unless I can see close to that, you're really just kind of guessing and hoping on efficiency. That's like why somebody like Devon A chain, fun player. It would be so hard for me to ever think about playing him in cash this year unless there were like two injuries behind him. So those Miami running backs would be fun in a GPP. It's really hard to guess week to week who's the guy. So I need at least 15 opportunities and we care about high value touches. So why don't you talk more about that? Yeah, obviously the goal line goal line role is is massive. Like that's not a thing you need us to tell you why touchdowns are important. But one thing that I think gets overlooked is the high value touches as a receiver. Like I'm trying to think of a good example last year. Like Joe Mixon really didn't have a great fantasy season, right? But Joe Burrow was throwing to the running back position as a whole at an insanely high rate that a lot of times that just helps his floor so safely. If you're getting five, six targets a week and you're counting on three or four catches, like that's three or four points on DK with the full PPR scoring that matters a ton. So it's why there's running backs that, you know, are probably great ceiling plays. Like sometimes Jonathan Taylor is going to be like, man, I could see him just go off in this matchup. But if he's not catching passes, his floor is so low. So I'm looking for those high value pass catching opportunities and the goal line roll in the archetypes that I like to play in cash, uh, ideally in GPPs too, but really for cash. And then I'm usually looking to like use the biggest line to your advantage. There are weeks where the Titans are going to be underdogs. I'm not playing Derrick Henry in a cash game in that situation because he's always what, like 8K or, or higher. And we know he feasts in a positive game script. So if Vegas is telling us that he's probably going to be playing from behind. It doesn't seem like a place I want to go in cash. So I use the Vegas lines uh, to my advantage for this stuff. And usually when they're favored, they'll also, not usually, they'll always have a higher team total as well. And projection uh, for touchdowns uh, matters a ton. So looking at Vegas totals and then high value opportunities. And just to give you some numbers with that for Derrick Henry, it's like in games where he didn't score a touchdown, it's like less than 10 fantasy points last year. And then his third down snaps are just, I mean, he was on the field for, 12% 12% of the team's pass snaps. Like in it, like that's just that's gross in on third down. So you're just not getting those. You can look at all those and think, okay, how's this game script going to go? So yeah, Vegas totals matter a lot. And I'll say one more thing about running backs. Like we usually talk about them as a free square. Like this player is a free square this week because we know somebody's not playing. You know, Josh Jacobs is not playing, therefore Zamir White is is a good play. Like we're still waiting for that situation to come out. But those tend to be obvious early in the week, but you know, a lot of times we don't get that information until later on. So I would say it's easy to pivot to a free square because it opens up so much more salary once you get to Friday or Saturday when we're getting practice reports. And that's something that you monitor on the injury blitz, right? Is like those Thursday, Friday practice reports are the most important for us for DFS. For sure. Yeah. And this is a spot too, where it's like, yeah, don't get cute. If this guy projects for 18 touches and he's 4.8 K like you're going to play him in cash, right? Um, I do have another example on the doc real quick. Like, DeAndre Swift is 5.4K in week one. Jamal Williams is 5.1 against Tennessee. And not even considering, like, matchup or anything. It's just, like, I think Swift probably, on a week-to-week basis, has a much higher ceiling. You could see him rip off a huge play. But, like, Jamal Williams, Kamara's out. Kendra Miller's in with injury. Like, he's 5.1. He probably is going to project pretty well for cash games i'm not sure he's a great tournament play but he's probably going to project very well for cash games so 
using those two factors, touches, price point, uh, projected playing time, et cetera, would lead me in that example to go with someone like Jay Willie instead of Swift. Ooh, I like a good Jay Willie reference. You know, you know, oh, yeah. any player that has last name Williams is immediately Willie. So, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's Jay Willie, you know, Daryl Williams used to play for the Chiefs, D Willie. I think uh, he's on the Saints now, isn't he? I th- oh, yeah, they did sign him the other day. Uh, yeah. He's not Big Mike, right, to me, like Mike Williams. He's Big Mike Willie. Like, that's that's just a great nickname. I love it. I love Big Mike. Oh, it's <laughs> going to be a good year, man. Did you see what I posted? There was a little video in our company Slack about every single time Mike Williams tries to catch the ball. Yes, it, it was so good. <laughs> Mike Williams is, is such a fun player in a game because it's just all or nothing a lot of times. I'll also say that game, New Orleans, Tennessee in a dome, could be a sneaky fun game. Like, I mean, there's a lot of, I think Chris Olave is going to be popular, uh, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited about that game. Speaking of Olave, let's talk about wide receivers and what we look for in a cash game. We've got two more positions here. In a cash game with wide receivers, you know, we're just trying to guess like how many routes, how many targets is this player going to see and the game environment, all of those things. I feel like wide receiver is one of those positions where in my lineup, I'm probably going to have either a cheap wide receiver or a cheap tight end. Like in order for the salary to work, if I want to get studs, I usually end up finding a cheap wide receiver that's going to get some volume and, or a or a punt tight end, which we'll talk about in a second. But I feel like that's like one of the staples of cash game plays. For sure. And oftentimes you need both of those things to make the other stuff work. So yeah, for wide receivers, um, this one I'm more I'm usually more interested in other factors in addition to just playing time. We already talked about the target volume, but I'm also looking sometimes for these more efficient wide receivers, and you gotta consider quarterback play when you're looking at these situations. Um, but the the tricky thing is that these low price wide receivers will project well. Sometimes they're not the most talented players in the world. And so they're usually decent fades in in tournaments where we know talent matters. But for cash games, like you said, if they project well, they're going to get volume. They're probably going to be playing 80 plus percent of the snaps like that stuff will work. So, yeah, there's uh, the best example of this right now, I think, for week one is Elijah Moore, who we've talked about 3,800 and Alec Pierce. They're right next to each other. And it's like, well, Alec Pierce could catch a 60 yard bomb. But can we project him for eight plus targets? Probably not, right? Especially with Anthony Richardson, which gives you some pause in week one in his first ever NFL game of of his career. So I would be looking at those two archetypes and saying, you can project way more volume for Elijah Moore. He's probably more talented, better quarterback play, et cetera, et cetera. So that's an example specifically for week one where it's like, I would not be leaning into this long dot risky sort of play, whereas in tournament, maybe you would. Yeah, and that's why players like Amon Ra always done so well in cash because they're just going to get volume. Deontay Johnson, Keenan Allen. It's just like in a full PPR site, you can get there pretty easily. Let's finish off with tight ends. We kind of have a simple strategy, pay up or punt. When you end up kind of getting a middle tier guy, and sometimes they'll project well. Like I've had weeks where like, man, Dallas Goddard feels like such a good play based on you know who else is not out there or the matchup or whatever. But for us, it's like you can pay up for Kelsey, you can pay up for Andrews and have the safety of that. And last year it was awesome if you paid up for Kelsey in so many weeks. But punting at tight end is an art. It's one of our favorite things each week to say, this guy's really gross. 
But a lot of players, you know, it's like this guy's 3K. You don't need him to do a lot to pay off. Like with tight ends, we know that the rest of the field is probably going to have players that airball a lot. And so it doesn't matter to me if I have the Kate Ottens of the world or Hunter Henry's like you just go for, you know, three for 40. Like I'm fine with that. Like that's that works for my lineup. It fits. And so what I look for is real simple. Can this guy two or three X on his salary? So if they're three K, can they get to six to nine points? And if I get six to nine points, I feel super great. I feel super smart. And it's almost a win in itself to identify the gross tight end. So I like the punting strategy. I actually have a punt article for DFS on the site. If you want to just search, you know, punt plays for DFS, that'll show up. Yep. And and really what this comes down to is the same thing kind of in the best ball landscape, right? It's like these middle tier guys of like Dalton Schultz, sometimes Pat Fryermuth, David and Joe Coos of the world. Like, yeah, they're probably like in a vacuum. They're a better play than someone that's going to be 2,800 or, or 3K, but it's the salary savings. It's the most important part. And the difference, right? If Njoku, who let's pretend is 4K, gives you eight points and you have a $2,700 tight end who gives you six points, the salary savings is the most important factor there. So these middle tier guys, like I'm almost always trying to fade. And there's going to be weeks where it's like, man, Kelsey just projects so well. He's too cheap. That's an example of like, okay, I would do it. The matchup's right. But all the time, man, we're looking to just punt it off, save as much money as possible. Yeah, one of the things that I've tried to bring up more and more is that I just want to know their routes, their route participation for a tight end, because that's opportunities. Snaps gives you a somewhat of a picture, but it doesn't quite tell you like, hey, can they actually contribute to fantasy? And then something that I just care about more and more, like if they're a good blocking tight end, it's actually bad. Because on pass plays, if they're blocking, they're not running a route. And I just cared, like, give me, like, Tyler Higby was a player last year that was pretty good for a while and was getting the volume because no one else was there. But over the course of the season, he started to wear out because one of the underlying things is they had to use him to block so much because their offensive line was so bad. And so Tyler Higby didn't really have spike weeks that you could use for GPP. He was fine for cash. But if you're looking for upside, you're looking for tight ends that are pass blocking way less. That's why I've always liked Chig because... He's the goat, and he's not the best blocker in the world. Just run some routes, bro. That's all I care about. Uh, I don't even think we have to really talk about defense that much because we just punt. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it I kind of doesn't like it, it, in cash, right? Yeah, and historically, looking at just correlation of fantasy points and salary, this is the one where it is the least sticky. A four K defense any week might be outscored by someone that's 2.1k it's because it's so random you can't really predict turnovers very well you know things like that now there are going to be situations where it's like hey this quarterback has been terrible for three weeks straight they've got three offensive linemen out and they're cheap it's like yeah that's the better play than someone else but whenever possible do not spend up at defense again the correlation is not there we need the salary savings for our quarterbacks running backs and wide receivers all right so i just went to a random cash lineup just to give you an example uh, the Chiefs in week 12 were 2,800. Okay, so that's like not the cheapest punt, but definitely like anything below 3K, we would say like, okay, you're saving salary. They were drafted by, um, their roster percentage was 65%. I don't care. I don't care. They're cheap. They went for 11 points, which is actually really, really good for a defense. 
and totally fine. So I don't really care about how popular defense is if they're super cheap. Now, in GPPs, we would say you need to flip the script and say if they're popular, just embrace the volatility, go somewhere else. But we don't really pay up for defense at all. And you will find you know weeks where people are cheap. So like the commanders will be super popular in week one because they're favorites at home against the Cardinals and they're below 3K. So keep that in mind. We'll give you our, our plays. But like on the show, when we get to Friday, you and I are like, I don't know, just like play the Jaguars. They're cheap. Like it's yep. you don't need a ton of analysis, right? <laughs> for sure, man. All right. That's gonna do it for this episode. If you want to go on the fansfootballers.com, we will have some of this content in our DFS pass that you can look at, the DFS process, all of those things, so that you can play with us this year and win some heavy cash bets. Tell everyone bye. Straight cash, homie. Yes, fun episode. We're back next week to talk through the more fun contest to enter the tournaments gpp strategy have a great weekend we will catch you next week thank you for listening to another edition of the fantasy footballers dfs and betting podcast don't forget to visit us on the web at the